Chapter 13 of The Sport of the Gods. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michael Evans, Urbana, Illinois. The Sport of the Gods by Paul Lawrence Dunbar. Chapter 13 The Oakleys. A year after the arrest of Barry Hamilton, and at a time when New York had shown to the eyes of his family so many strange new sights, there were few changes to be noted in the condition of affairs at the Oakley place. Maurice Oakley was perhaps a shade more distrustful of his servants, and consequently more testy with them. Mrs. Oakley was the same acquiescent woman, with unbounded faith in her husband's wisdom and judgment. With complacent minds, both went their ways, drank their wine, and said their prayers, and wished that Brother Frank's five years were past. They had letters from him now and then, never very cheerful in tone, but always breathing the deepest love and gratitude to them. His brother found deep cause for congratulation in the tone of these epistles. Frank is getting down to work, he would cry exultantly. He has passed the first buoyant enthusiasm of youth. Ah, Leslie, when a man begins to be serious, then he begins to be something. And her only answer would be, I wonder, Maurice, if Claire Lessing will wait for him. The two had frequent questions to answer as to Frank's doing and prospects, and they had always bright things to say of him, even when his letters gave them no such warrant. Their love for him made them read large between the lines, and all they read was good. Between Maurice and his brother, no word of the guilty servant ever passed. They each avoided it as an unpleasant subject. Frank had never asked, and his brother had never proffered aught of the outcome of the case. Mrs. Oakley had once suggested it, "'Brother ought to know,' she said, "'that Barry is being properly punished.' "'By no means,' replied her husband. "'You know that it would only hurt him. "'He shall never know if I have to tell him.' "'You are right, Maurice. "'You are always right. "'We must shield Frank from the pain it would cause him. "'Poor fellow, he is so sensitive.' "'Their hearts were still steadfastly fixed "'upon the union of this younger brother "'with Claire Lessing. "'She had lately come into a fortune.' and there was nothing now to prevent it. They would have written Frank to urge it, but they both believed that to try to woo him away from his art was but to make him more wayward. That any woman could have power enough to take him away from this jealous mistress, they very much doubted. But they could hope, and hope made them eager to open every letter that bore the French postmark. Always it might contain news that he was coming home, or that he had made a great success, or, better, some inquiry after Claire. A long time they had waited, but found no such tidings in the letters from Paris. At last, as Maurice Oakley sat in his library one day, the servant brought him a letter more bulky in weight and appearance than any he had yet received. His eyes glistened with pleasure as he read the postmark. A letter from Frank, he said joyfully, and an important one, I'll wager. He smiled as he weighed it in his hand and caressed it. Mrs. Oakley was out shopping, and as he knew how deep her interest was, he hesitated to break the seal before she returned. He curbed his natural desire and laid the heavy envelope down on the desk, but he could not deny himself the pleasure of speculating as to its contents. It was such a large, interesting-looking package. What might it not contain? It simply reeked of possibilities. Had any one banteringly told Maurice Oakley that he had such a deep vein of sentiment, he would have denied it with scorn and laughter. But here he found himself sitting with the letter in his hand and weaving stories as to its contents. 
first, now, it might be a notice that Frank had received the badge of the Legion of Honor. No, no, that was too big, and he laughed aloud at his own folly, wondering the next minute, with half shame, why he laughed, for did he, after all, believe anything was too big for that brother of his? Well, let him begin, anyway, a way down. Let him say, for instance, that the letter told of the completion and sale of a great picture. Frank had sold small ones. He would be glad of this, for his brother had written him several times of things that were a-doing, but not yet of anything that was done. Or better yet, let the letter say that some picture, long finished, but of which the artist's pride and anxiety had forbidden him to speak, had made a glowing success, the success it deserved. This sounded well, and seemed not at all beyond the bounds of possibility. It was an alluring vision. He saw the picture already. It was a scene from life, true in detail to the point of very minuteness and yet with something spiritual in it that lifted it above the mere copy of the commonplace. At the salon it would be hung on the line, and people would stand before it, admiring its worksmanship and asking who the artist was. He drew on his memory of old reading. In his mind's eye he saw Frank, unconscious of his own power or too modest to admit it, stand unknown among the crowds around his picture, waiting for and dreading their criticisms. He saw the light leap to his eyes as he heard their words of praise, he saw the straightening of his narrow shoulders when he was forced to admit that he was the painter of the work. Then the windows of Paris were filled with his portraits. The papers were full of his praise, and brave men and fair women met together to do him homage. Fair women, yes, and Frank would look upon them all and see reflected in them, but a tithe of the glory of one woman, and that woman, Claire Lessing. He roused himself and laughed again as he tapped the magic envelope. My fancies go on and conquer the world for my brother, he muttered. He will follow their flight one day and do it himself. The letter drew his eyes back to it. It seemed to invite him, to beg him even. No, I will not do it. I will wait until Leslie comes. She will be as glad to hear the good news as I am. His dreams were taking the shape of reality in his mind, and he was believing all that he wanted to believe. He turned to look at a picture painted by Frank which hung over the mantel. He dwelt lovingly upon it, seeing in it the touch of a genius. Surely, he said, this new picture cannot be greater than that, though it shall hang where kings can see it, and this only graces the library of my poor house. It has the feeling of a woman's soul with the strength of a man's heart. When Frank and Claire marry, I shall give it back to them. It is too great a treasure for a clod like me. Hi-ho! Why will women be so long as shopping? He glanced again at the letter, and his hand went out involuntarily towards it. He fondled it, smiling. Ah, Lady Leslie, I've a mind to open it to punish you for staying so long. He essayed to be playful, but he knew that he was trying to make a compromise with himself because his eagerness grew stronger than his gallantry. He laid the letter down and picked it up again. He studied the postmark over and over. He got up and walked to the window and back again, and then began fumbling in his pockets for his knife. No, he did not want it. Yes, he did. He would just cut the envelope and make believe he had read it to pique his wife, but he would not read it. Yes, that was it. He found the knife and slit the paper. His fingers trembled as he touched the sheets that protruded. Why would Leslie not come? Did she not know that he was waiting for her? She ought to have known that there was a letter from Paris today, for it had been a month since they had had one. There was a sound of footsteps without. 
He sprang up, crying, I've been waiting so long for you. A servant opened the door to bring him a message. Oakley dismissed him angrily. What did he want to go down to the Continental for to drink and talk politics to a lot of muddle-padded fools when he had a brother in Paris who was an artist and a letter from him lay unread in his hand? His patience and temper were going. Leslie was careless and unfeeling. She ought to come. He was tired of waiting. A carriage rolled up the driveway, and he dropped the letter guiltily as if it were not his own. He would only say that he had grown tired of waiting and started to read it. But it was only Mrs. Davis's footman leaving a note for Leslie about some charity. He went back to the letter. Well, it was his. Leslie had forfeited a right to see it as soon as he. It might be mean, but it was not dishonest. No, he would not read it now, but he would take it out and show her that he had exercised his self-control in spite of her shortcomings. He laid it on the desk once more. It leered at him. He might just open the sheets enough to see the lines that began it and read no further. Yes, he would do that. Leslie could not feel hurt at such a little thing. The first line had only, Dear brother. Dear brother! Why not the second? That could not hold much more. The second line held him, and the third, and the fourth as he read on, unmindful now of what Leslie might think or feel. His face turned from the ruddy glow of pleasant anxiety to the pallor of grief and terror. He was not halfway through it when Mrs. Oakley's voice in the hall announced her coming. He did not hear her. He sat staring at the page before him, his lips apart and his eyes staring. Then, with a cry that echoed through the house, crumpling the sheets in his hand, he fell forward, fainting to the floor, just as his wife rushed into the room. "'What is it?' she cried. "'Maurice! Maurice!' He lay on the floor, staring up at the ceiling, the letter clutched in his hands. She ran to him and lifted up his head, but he gave no sign of life. Already the servants were crowding to the door. She bade one of them to hasten for a doctor, others to bring water and brandy and the rest to be gone. As soon as she was alone, she loosed the crumpled sheets from his hand, for she felt that this must have been the cause of her husband's strange attack. Without a thought of wrong, for they had no secrets from each other, she glanced at the opening lines. Then she forgot the unconscious man at her feet and read the letter through to the end. The letter was in Frank's neat hand, a little shaken, perhaps, by nervousness. Dear brother, it ran, I know you will grieve at receiving this, and I wish that I might bear your grief for you, but I cannot, though I have as heavy a burden as this can bring to you. Mine would have been lighter today, perhaps, had you been more straightforward with me. I am not blaming you, however, for I know that my hypocrisy made you believe me possessed of a really soft heart, and you thought to spare me. Until yesterday, when in a letter from Esterton he casually mentioned the matter, I did not know that Barry was in prison, else this letter would have been written sooner. I have been wanting to write it for so long, and yet have been too great a coward to do so. I know that you will be disappointed in me, and just what that disappointment will cost you I know but you must hear the truth. I shall never see your face again, or I should not dare to tell it even now. You will remember that I begged you to be easy on your servant. You thought it was only my kindness of heart. It was not. I had a deeper reason. I knew where the money had gone and dared not to tell. Barry is innocent as yourself and I. Well, it is a story, and let me tell it to you. 
You have had so much confidence in me, and I hate to tell you that it was all misplaced. I have no doubt that I should not be doing it now, but that I have drunken absinthe enough to give me the emotional point of view, which I shall regret tomorrow. I do not mean that I am drunk. I can think clearly and write clearly, but my emotions are extremely active. Do you remember Claire's saying at the table that night of the farewell dinner that some dark-eyed mademoiselle was waiting for me? She did not know how truly she spoke, though I fancy she saw how I flushed when she said it, for I was already in love, madly so. I need not describe her. I need say nothing about her, for I know that nothing I say can ever persuade you to forgive her for taking me from you. This has gone on since I first came here, and I dared not tell you, for I saw whether your eyes had turned. I loved this girl, and she both inspired and hindered my work. Perhaps I would have been successful had I not met her. Perhaps not. I love her too well to marry her, and make of our devotion a stale, prosy thing of duty and compulsion. When a man does not marry a woman, he must keep her better than he would a wife. It costs. All that you gave me went to make her happy. Then, when I was about leaving you, the catastrophe came. I wanted much to carry back to her. I gambled to make more. I would surprise her. Luck was against me. Night after night, I lost. Then, just before the dinner, I woke from my frenzy to find that all I had was gone. I would have asked you for more, and you would have given it, but that strange, ridiculous something which we misname Southern Honor, that honor which strains at a gnat and swallows a camel, withheld me, and I preferred to do worse. So I lied to you. The money from my cabinet was not stolen, save by myself. I am a liar and a thief, but your eyes shall never tell me so. Tell the truth and have Barry released. I can stand it. Write me but one letter to tell me of this. Do not plead with me. Do not forgive me. Do not seek to find me. For from this time I shall be as one who has perished from the earth. I shall be no more. Your brother, Frank. By the time the servants came, they found Mrs. Oakley as white as her lord, but with firm hands and compressed lips she ministered to his needs pending the doctor's arrival. She bathed his face and temples, chafed his hands, and forced the brandy between his lips. Finally he stirred, and his hands gripped. The letter, he gasped. Yes, dear, I have it, I have it. Give it to me, he cried. She handed it to him. He seized it and thrust it into his breast. Did, did you read it? Yes, I did not know. Oh, my God, I did not intend that you should see it. I wanted the secret for my own. I wanted to carry it to my grave with me. Oh, Frank, Frank, Frank. Never mind, Maurice. It is as if you alone knew it. It is not, I say, it is not. He turned upon his face and began to weep passionately, not like a man, but like a child whose last toy has been broken. Oh, my God, he moaned. My brother, my brother. Shh, dearie, think. It's, it's Frank. That's it. That's it. That's what I can't forget. It's Frank. Frank, my brother. Suddenly he sat up and his eyes stared straight into hers. Leslie, no one must ever know what is in this letter, he said calmly. No one shall, Maurice. Come, let us burn it. Burn it? 
No, no, he cried, clutching at his breast. It must not be burned. What? Burn my brother's secret? No, no, I must carry it with me. Carry it with me to the grave. But Maurice, I must carry it with me. She saw that he was overwrought, and so did not argue with him. When the doctor came, he found Maurice Oakley in bed, but better. The medical man diagnosed the case and decided that he had received some severe shock. He feared, too, for his heart, for the patient constantly held his hands pressed against his bosom. In vain the doctor pleaded. He would not take them down, and when the wife added her word, the physician gave up, and after prescribing left, much puzzled in mind. It's a strange case, he said. There's something more than nervous shock that makes him clutch his chest like that, and yet I have never noticed signs of heart trouble in Oakley. Oh, well, business worry will produce anything in anybody. It was soon common talk about the town about Maurice Oakley's attack. In the seclusion of his chamber, he was saying to his wife, Ah, Leslie, you and I will keep the secret. No one shall ever know. Yes, dear, but, but what of Barry? What of Barry, he cried, starting up excitedly. What is Barry to Frank? What is that nigger to my brother? What are his sufferings to the honor of my family and name? Never mind, Maurice, never mind. You are right. It must never be known, I say, if Barry has to rot in jail. So they wrote a lie to Frank and buried the secret in their breasts, and Oakley wore its visible form upon his heart. End of chapter 13 Recording by Michael Evans, Urbana, Illinois